You good? All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Speed. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Mission Story Slam podcast, brought to you by PWP Video. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, the executive producer at PWP Video and Mission Story Slam. We started Mission Story Slam to share the stories of the organizations that we serve at PWP Video. So those include nonprofits, big corporations, triple bottom line companies, and sustainable organizations. People on a mission to make the world a better place. We gather at Yards Brewing in Philadelphia to pick the names of 10 storytellers out of a hat and enjoy their stories as they compete for a $250 donation to their favorite nonprofit. The crowd also selects a favorite story for a $100 donation. Mission Story Slam 8, with the theme, Next Chapter, is happening on May 23rd, so mark your calendars now. During the pandemic, we held two virtual slams, and in 2021, First Person Arts invited us to be a part of their Spring Festival, and we held Mission Story Slam 6 with the theme, What's Next? Today's guest told the crowd favorite story at that slam. Zakia Hall is the Communications and Content Manager at Community Legal Services of Philadelphia. We were supposed to have this interview in 2021, but life interceded. But back in 2021, Zakia was working at the Philadelphia Association of Community Development Corporations, better known and more easily referred to as PACDC. Zakia, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It, it is nice to get back together. We haven't really talked much since you went to Community Legal Services. I'm just curious, has it been really different working at a legal aid society instead of working with uh, community development corporations? Yeah, I think it's different, but similar in a lot of ways. I think ultimately PACDC and CLS are kind of working towards the same vision and goals, but how we do that can be a lot different. I think one of the things that I'm really getting used to is how formal and professional attorneys are and how um, close we have to stick to the line to make sure that everything is accurate. But other than that, I'm really enjoying learning more about how systems are affecting Philadelphians and how people are coming together to make a real difference in our city. I do want to give our audience some understanding of what a community development corporation is in case most people are, but not everyone is familiar with that. So what is a brief explanation of a CDC and how... PACDC fits into like the ecosystem of CDCs? So a community development corporation is a community-based nonprofit that works on a wide range of activities to help improve their neighborhoods. CDCs or community development corporations build affordable housing. They'll support small businesses. They bring residents together to make their voices heard when neighborhood change is happening. They also help connect residents to services like Medicaid or food stamps. They will provide social services, organize after-school programs for youth. They'll organize neighborhood events like block parties and street festivals. Many are also getting involved in like health equity work. So some run community health centers and also partner with hospitals to make sure people are getting their health needs met. So a CDC is basically a neighborhood-based organization. It's just trying to create a space where people can live somewhere they love. What PACDC does is bring all of those organizations together to kind of identify what's happening in our neighborhoods, share best practices, and also speak to positions in power to try to generate some more investment and more supportive policymaking that will improve our communities in an equitable way. 
That is a really good and in-depth definition. I think there's items on that list that I didn't realize CDCs did. In your definition of CDCs, with all the things on that list, I actually don't know that I thought of CDCs first as affordable housing organizations. I guess I would think of like finance institutions like CDFIs doing that, but I don't know if I've realized that CDCs often lead the way on affordable housing too. Yeah. So in many cases, CDCs are the ones who came together to demand affordable housing in their communities when there was no investment and when there was no construction. So a lot of CDCs have their like birth stories in the 90s. I can't tell you more than that because I don't have that depth and breadth of knowledge. But I do know that in many areas and in many neighborhoods, um, CDCs were kind of the people who to put their thinking caps on and try to figure out a way to get some dollars in real building into their communities. Obviously, you can have independent organizations doing amazing work, but getting a bunch of strong voices together can carry a lot of weight. So I think that work is excellent. Um, so listen, before I play your story, first of all, you did an excellent job in your story of making the work of PACDC and of CDCs, like expressing it through a personal story. And I think it's really easy when Mission Story Slam to maybe slip into sort of TED Talk mode and just talk about the mission or exactly what we're doing or just definitions. And I really love that your story was personal and about you, but directly related to the work. Thank um, you. Oh, absolutely. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play your story because I want to hear about your neighborhood anchor, Miss Butter. My own story begins in a small row home on a small block in the Strawberry Mansion, Burytown area. Strawberry Mansion if someone's been shot, Burytown if you're looking to buy a new home. But whatever you call it, I'm so proud to be a North Philadelphian and I'm especially grateful for the amazing neighbors who have supported me even during the most trying moments in my life. I'll give you an, a small example from last year. So Target had waters on sale for $2 a case, and I know I'm supposed to be giving up the single-use plastic, but I can't resist a good sale. So I bought about five cases of water, and when I got home that day, I was hot, I was tired, I was exhausted, um, but I still had to carry these five cases of water. And as I'm trying to empty my trunk, I hear my phone ringing in my house. So I run into my house, grab my phone to see who's calling, come back outside no more than 45 seconds later, and all the cases of water are gone. So like I said, we're in quarantine and I don't know about you, but I've questioned my sanity every day while stuck at home. So I thought to myself, maybe I actually brought the cases of water in the house. So I run in the house, check the house, the cases of water aren't there. I come back outside, I look up the block, I look down the block to see if someone's making a quick getaway with these waters and there's nothing. How could five cases of water disappear in what was about 60 seconds now? As it turns out, my neighbor's no good son took the cases of water from my trunk and put them underneath my car to try to teach me a lesson. Little did he know, the only reason why I kept the trunk open and the car unlocked was because I knew that he was outside with his mom, Miss Butter, his brother, Horace, and his cousin, Nikki. As long as they were outside, even if I didn't know whether I was coming or going, I knew my car would be safe and secure. You see, Miss Butter is a special kind of neighbor. She's the type that if you have a package and UPS leaves it on your step, then she's going to pick it up and take it into her house to make sure it's safe even before UPS gets into their back into their truck and pulls off. As a matter of fact, she comes to the door when she hears UPS pull up, okay? So Ms. Butter is an amazing, amazing neighbor that I 
uh, especially volume that has been a tremendous asset to my life. Fast forward about a little over a month later, so this is Labor Day weekend, uh, or the weekend after Labor Day, I come home after another long, exhausting day during COVID, and the block is packed. I mean, I had to circle around the block two times to uh, find a parking space. Um, you know, the cars were still coming, and I get out of my car, and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, everybody's gathering, they're doing Labor Day, part two, in a pandemic, no masks, okay. So, you know, I say, okay, I'm gonna to walk to my house, mind my business, and I see my old next door neighbor and he's standing across the street. So I wave to him and I say, hey, Mr. Daryl, how are you? And he doesn't seem too particularly excited to see me. So he said, Zakia, come on over. I have something to tell you. And so I said, okay, what's up? And he said, you don't know, do you? I said, no, what? And he let me know that Miss Butter's son, Horace, passed away earlier that morning. And as I looked around the crowd, I realized that it wasn't a cookout at all. In fact, there were no, there was no food, just Hennessy. Um, and it was a gathering that has become all too familiar in my neighborhood. Over the course of that week, I heard many people say, you know, it's a blessing that Horace died in his sleep instead of being shot in the streets. And that's something that you could only say in a neighborhood like mine. Imagine saying that it's a blessing for a 42-year-old man who had the rest of his life to live to die of a heart attack and say that that was a blessing. So... I really feel like I can picture Miss Butter. And I think that may be partially because I've been lucky enough to have neighbors like her over the years. I know it's been a couple years since you told that story. How is Miss Butter doing? She's doing well. She still has not missed a single package. She is still on the cusp of everything that is happening on our tiny little block. I think times can still be hard for her just trying to figure out what her new normal is without her son and moving forward together as a family. But she's pressing forward just like many other people in my neighborhood, unfortunately, have to do when life deals them unfair blues. That is a really, really tough part of the story, but I'm glad that you're still so strongly connected to her and that it sounds like she is finding her way. You may not remember this because it's a couple of years ago, but do you have any memory at all of how you decided to tell that story about Miss Butter and the passing of Horace when you were thinking about what you wanted to talk about for the story slam? So to be honest with you, when I first applied for a job at PACDC, it was really because I felt like it was an opportunity to show up for the community that had loved and cared for me so much. And I had never really felt like it was fair that I was able to grow up in North Philly and go to really great schools and do really well um, and ultimately graduate from Penn but so many of my neighbors who were responsible for me getting there did not have those same opportunities. And so when the opportunity came to participate in the Mission Story Slam, I really wanted to introduce people to someone who played a really pivotal role in my life. So I mentioned that Ms. Butter was a really good friend of my mom's. My mom passed away when I was in college. And so part of the reason why I picked Ms. Butter is because I didn't want to start crying about my mom. And I knew I could talk about her without crying, but I couldn't talk about my mom. But while I was away at college, Ms. Butter, um, she watched my house for me. So my house never got broken into. She got my mail for me. She would call me if there was ever any issue. She had my back at probably the worst time in my life. And so it was an honor for me to have her back 
when something similar happened to her. And so a lot of times when we think about places like North Philly, we think about gun violence, we think about poverty, we think about trash, we think about all of the real systemic issues that are happening, but we don't talk enough about the love and the care and the dedication that thrive here as well. The, the question was, what's next? And so I feel like at that time, everyone was so ready to burn everything down and start from scratch and try all these new things. But I also wanted to highlight that some of the stuff that we're already doing is working. And so that's how I, that's how I, let, that's how I ended up on Miss Butter. Well, I love it. Yeah, good choice. If a story you're thinking about is going to make you cry while you're trying to tell it, then finding an, op- an alternate story is right, an, right. an advisable right. thing to do. So that's a good pro tip for anyone thinking about telling a story. I completely agree uh, with the fact that what we see in the news or what we're even seeing in the headlines, even in papers that are doing great work, often misses the stories about the love in our neighborhoods and the love that people have for our buildings and blocks, but also for our neighbors and each other. And yeah, so I'm really glad that you shared about Miss Butter with us and I do appreciate it. When these horrible things happen and they happen so often in our communities, we often look back wondering how we made it through those times, like how we made it through your son being killed or how you made it through your son passing away in his sleep or car accidents that can just derail a person's life or losing a job just sends you down a cycle of poverty and making choices that you never thought you would. And when we look back at some of that stuff, what we realize is that it was really the people who got us through. It was your neighbors. It was your family. It was people coming up to support you even when they were going through their own issues. And so I really wanted to highlight an example of that happened with me personally. I'm really sad for Miss Butter on on the loss, but I am really glad that your neighborhood showed up like that for her. So thank you. And thankfully no one got COVID to my knowledge either. (laughs) I'm glad that... uh, No no vaccine, no nothing. It's been a long pandemic. It is very, very surreal. So listen, I really appreciate your having shared that story. I love that you took some esoteric, large citywide work and turned it into a personal story from your life and your block. I'm wondering about how the work of an individual community development corporation can improve the life of a resident like Miss Butter. We don't have to talk specifically only about her. It could be any one resident story you've encountered in your in the work you've done. Sure. So when I think about many of the neighbors on my block, I know some of us have been, I've been on my block for five generations. Or my family has been on my block for five generations. And many people on my block have those long time t- ties to my block. And as our neighborhood changes and property values increase, thankfully, I'm in a position where I can afford that property tax increase, but many of my neighbors are not. And so one thing that a CDC could help neighbors do is apply for property tax relief, but not only help them apply for property tax relief, see what the hot spots are in their neighborhood, where property taxes are rising or where newcomers are coming and trying to develop a strategy to make sure that as neighborhoods change, that people aren't being displaced, but also that the neighborhood retains some of the unique things that make it great. And it does seem like a CDC really can be one of those organizations that neighbors will find, even if they haven't walked into the CDC office, that somewhere in travels, a CDC might be the first type of organization that you would encounter for those kinds of problems. Maybe before you would go and find a 
community legal services or a citywide nonprofit of some nature. I think that's right. And then CDCs are also the organizations who have been fixed in their neighborhood for many years. So they have those relationships with people. They've built that trust and they have that legitimacy at a time when it's very difficult sometimes to trust institutions in our communities. I think once they spot issues, then they can bring it to the attention of people who can make changes for city programs and stuff like that. I am also now on the board of Rebuilding Together Philadelphia, which revitalizes communities by transforming like vulnerable owner-occupied homes into like safe, healthy homes. So basically in many neighborhoods that are gentrifying, people are at risk of being put in nursing homes or having to move out because they cannot afford to make repairs on the, in their homes. And those homes are making them sick. So yeah. it's children with asthma. It's seniors who may be falling in their homes. And so what Rebuilding Together Philadelphia with its contractors and its volunteers do is they go in on a block basis. So we identify blocks that have multiple people who need home repairs and we provide free home repairs to homeowners who can't afford them otherwise. That's awesome that you're on that board. That's great. So I want to talk a little bit about Strawberry Mansion for a second, because I can only imagine that since you told your story a couple of years ago, it seems like there's even more funerals now in Strawberry Mansion from violence than there had been even at that time. And with the mayoral primary coming upon us, I'm wondering if you are hearing any ideas that you think could actually create change in Strawberry Mansion so there'd be a little more safety and less funerals. So ultimately, I think people are safe when they can meet their basic needs. And so I I think that I would love to see mayoral candidates look at things like raising wages and providing, expanding by a wide stretch the amount of affordable housing that's available. I think investing in our schools would do tremendous work to reduce violence in our communities. There, there have been recent studies about like how cleaning and greening vacant lots can actually do a lot to reduce gun violence. The I think the lead investigator was Dr. Eugenia, I could be pronouncing her name wrong, but Eugenia South. I think she's out of UPenn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, she's at UPenn. I would love to see mayoral candidates and quite honestly, all people in elected office and city and state government focus on some of those long-term investments that can help make our community safer. Well, I mean, one thing is for certain, we are going to see a lot of change in council and in city hall in the next few months at the beginning of next year, but we're going we're gonna to know what that change is going to start looking like. So yeah, I'm with you. And I think that yeah, I, I hope more people will pay attention to reports like Dr. South's because that is really significant work. And it, it's really interesting, like the types of organizations I know that you would honor at PACDC, like it wasn't just CDCs, like you guys would pay attention to groups like the Horticultural Society, who's, I know they sponsor tons of lot cleanup and maintenance for vacant lots across the city. Like I know they do some here in my area in Germantown. But yeah, there's so many organizations that I think you guys would focus attention on that are doing some of that work, right? Yeah, I think when we think about like how 
big these problems are, it's really funny who can become partners in solving a lot of them. Like I would have never thought that cleaning a vacant lot would reduce gun violence. I would have never thought that hospitals would be involved in trying to house people and provide housing and actually make home repairs because homes are making people sick or not having a home is exacerbating medical conditions. And so I think is one of the things that's really compelling to me is just seeing like how organizations who you wouldn't think have anything in common are really working together to solve massive problems. And I think it's really inspiring. And since we're facing so many problems right now, I do hope that those organizations are finding new ways to work together. And yeah, one of the things I do like about Philadelphia is there, it does seem to be like a roll up. I'm originally from Chicago. I've been here half my life now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I originally grew up in Chicago in the suburbs there. And but I've been in Philly since the 90s. And yeah, I think that where we had a lot of Midwest nice there, I've really gotten to love and respect the roll up our sleeves and volunteer in neighborhood organizations and figure out ways to work together in creative ways in this town that I'm not even sure I remember seeing that in Chicago. I think Philly's also, we've got a nice edge here too. It is definitely different than, uh, than Midwest nice, but yeah. <laughs> I, love it. I love it so much. Hi, I'm Dave Winston, and I've been a storyteller all my life. Sure, I started out telling whoppers about who broke mom's favorite lamp, but now I tell true stories for a living as a producer for PWP Video. And occasionally, I take to the stage at various story slams. Today, I'm talking to you as the producer of Mission Story Slam. Michael Schweisheimer and I developed Mission Story Slam for the nonprofit community of Philadelphia to help us come together and share the stories about how we came to a mission-driven life. And yes, have a few beers with friends in the process. But that's no different from our ancestors who gathered around hearths and campfires, sharing our history and our truth. And I think that's what makes us truly different from animals. It's not the opposable thumb that make us human. It's the stories we tell. It's the way we teach knowledge and values to future generations. All our great works of history and faith started out as stories we told each other long before anyone wrote them down. And there's a reason all our great works of religious faith are told as stories and not just a list of instructions. Stories, and particularly first-person oral histories, are the most powerful form of communication because they are by far the best method of communicating feeling. Feeling makes them more memorable. How they make you feel makes them matter personally to you. Think about it. When our politicians run for office, we don't just ask about their policies. We ask them to tell us who they are, where they come from, and what experiences shape their lives. And it's not enough that an actor makes a great performance on stage or in a film. We want to see them on a talk show and have them tell us who they really are. The story is important. There's an adage in the sales world, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. People want to know why. They want to know the story. That's what we want to know at Mission Story Slam. Now, we're fortunate enough to work with so many people working so hard to make the world a better place. And we want to know who you are and how you got here. What events shaped your life and brought you to this point and time and this mission to change things. So the first thing we often tell people is, it's not a TED Talk. 
TED Talks are a wonderful way to communicate bite-sized bits of knowledge. They're entertaining and engaging, and it's great to see the power of the internet used for good for a change. But that's not a story. A story isn't data. A story is what the data means to real human beings. And a good story is your story, your journey, your truth. It can be funny or frightening or heartbreaking. It may be epic involving world-changing events, or it may be a small moment of realization that made a difference in your life. Some stories rigidly follow the rules of rhetoric. Some meander from point to point. But what good stories have in common is they move us from one place to another, from ignorance to enlightenment, from arrogance to humility, from apathy to activism. A good story shares a bit of your journey with us and a bit of yourself. From that, we all learn and grow or find common ground or understanding. And I'll be talking about these things and more on future episodes of the Mission Story Slam podcast. We've talked a good amount about CDCs and even some about politics, but I'd like to know about the work that you're doing now at Community Legal Services and how that is going to keep you riding hard for your neighborhood. Yeah. So I took the jump from PACDC over to CLS at the end of 2021. I think like many people, I woke up many times during the pandemic wondering what kind of world do we live in and what am I doing to make a difference? I was really moved by CLS's work to help people meet their basic needs and so while I think we certainly need to continue to invest in our neighborhoods, I don't think it's either or. Personally, I felt really moved by the opportunity to help people when they face the risk of losing their homes, either through eviction or foreclosure, or when they are facing losing their income that they receive from the government because they're unable to work. And for me, I think just being able to not only help people on a one-to-one -one level, but also do truly um, systemic advocacy to change systems that are harming people, uh, that really spoke to me in a way that I could no longer ignore it. And so I left PACDC to come to CLS and it's been quite a journey. It's really, yeah, I know PACDC continues doing great work. Um, yes, they do. And they're very important in the city, but yeah, I'm a longtime fan of community legal services. Um, yeah. I'm glad you're there. Congratulations. Thank you. So listen, as communications manager, this is the Mission Story Slam podcast. So I want to ask about how storytelling is part of the work that you're doing at Community Legal Services with communication management. So I think one example that immediately comes to the top of my mind is our How Is That Legal podcast, where we share stories of injustice and how the civil legal system perpetuates racial inequity. So I think a lot of people are aware of racial disparities in our criminal justice system and how mass incarceration and policing disproportionately affect black and brown communities. But I don't think we think about our civil legal system in the same way, 
even though that system is a lot larger and affects a lot more people than the criminal justice system. And on the How Is That Legal podcast, which can be found wherever you get your podcast, we talk about housing inequity. We talk about redlining. We talk about the child welfare system. We talk about um, Medicaid estate recovery, which I don't know if you know this, but if someone on Medicaid has to be put in a nursing home to receive the health care that they need before they die, once they pass away, the state can recover their home to pay itself back for the money it spent for providing healthcare in a nursing home, right? So we talk about how things like that um, disproportionate, right? We talk about talk about just not allowing for there to be intergenerational wealth. You're kidding. And that's exactly what happens. A lot of these homes are not actually worth that much. So when you throw a lien against the home that pretty much absorbs the whole state and people are not able to pass what is often the only source of intergenerational wealth onto their children. Not to mention that like the policy itself can seem pretty race neutral, but it was passed in the 90s specifically relying on anti-black stereotypes about who deserves to receive government services, right? So we share stories um, that have afflicted our clients. We also hear from people who have been directly impacted by many of these issues themselves. And I think what I really love about the podcast is that we not only break down the problems and get to the root of the systemic inequity, but we also uplift solutions and talk about what's working to get us to a more just and equitable society. Definitely. I will be I will be hitting subscribe. Today. Yeah, you got to tune in. I promise. I, well, you know, I love a good podcast. We do some podcasting ourselves beyond just the Mission Story Slam one. So yeah, no, I definitely absolutely want to want to listen to that. And I will say like one of the things that I didn't know until I think it was last year, we did a project along with another a Philadelphia B Corporation called SCP, but their client was the Legal Services Corporation of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us know that if you cannot afford an attorney within the criminal justice system, that one will be provided for us. Mm-hmm. But I never connected the dots. That is only within the criminal system. There is no guarantee like that mm-hmm. that we will have representation in the civil system. And that really is just like a face palm, like what what were we thinking in our founding documents? And, and one of the things we talk about on the podcast is, right, like how simply having representation enables our clients to win in many cases, right? So like it's by design that people aren't able to stay in their homes or to be able to stay on their medical assistance. One of the attorneys that we had on was a public benefits attorney. And I don't think she lost a single case or if she did, it was like very few. And what she said was, it's not because I'm brilliant or because I made these many legal arguments. It's because the injustice and unfairness that's baked into the system is so readily apparent that it cannot stand once you make a challenge to it. Yeah, I'm just glad that you're continuing to do the work that you're doing with community legal services and being on the board of, was it Rebuilding Philadelphia? Rebuilding Together Philadelphia. Rebuilding Together Philadelphia. All right, we have our homework. We're going to subscribe to your podcast. We're going to look at those organizations if we don't know it. Let's make sure that we share the URLs so that we can find out a little bit more about these organizations you're involved with. You can learn more about PACDC at PACDC.org or follow them on social media at Philly CDCs. You can learn more about CLS and how to get free legal help or advocate for more just policies at CLS Phila, 
P-H-I-L-A dot org. And you can learn more about Rebuilding Together Philadelphia at rebuildingphilly.org. Thank you again for sharing the story and coming on the podcast. So my homework for you is that I really would hope that you will join us for an in-person story slam. And I want you to see if you can bring friends from PACDC, some from Community Legal Services, and some from Rebuilding Together Philadelphia, because it's a fun place to come and hang out with a bunch of nonprofit peeps. Maybe they need to meet each other. You got it. May 23rd is actually my half birthday, so hopefully you'll have cake for me too. (laughs) Okay, noted. Dave Winston, cake. We have to have cake. Yes. All right, I'm glad that you will come and celebrate your half birthday with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. We have such a supportive community that gathers together that sharing a story with our group of missionaries really is a powerful experience. And you can always just come out and listen, be moved, be refreshed, and cheer everyone on. I know you'll make a new friend and maybe even a new connection. So that really is the reason that we create a Mission Story Slam and this podcast. Without our community of do-gooders and missionaries gathering around these stories and this work, it can start to feel like we're all just tilting at windmills. But together, we truly can accomplish great things and have a great time. So we'll look for you at Yards, evening of Tuesday, May 23rd. Tickets are available now on our website. Until then, we would love to hear from you. How can we make the podcast better? How does storytelling keep you engaged with your mission? You can go to our website. It's missionstorieslam.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So please share this podcast with friends and colleagues who you think would enjoy what we're doing at Mission Story Slam. And I'd also want to take a second and recommend another podcast I believe is extremely relevant to our audience and that we are very proud to be producing here at PWP Video. Uh, You might guess that I was in the meeting where we were brainstorming titles because it's called the Mission Business Podcast. It's from our friends at your part-time controller, LLC, and it highlights professionals and stories from the nonprofit sector and beyond. It's hosted wonderfully by YPTC managing partner, Jennifer Oliva, and the show weaves together really fascinating interviews with nonprofit leaders and some really unique segments from other members of the YPTC team. But this podcast is produced by Dave Winston, and it's edited by James Robinson and brought to you by PWP Video. We are a video with a mission. You can find us at pwpvideo.com. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, and I really look forward to sharing the next story behind the story with you soon. <laughs>